It's hard for us to understand just how much of an outsider Jesus was. We live in a culture where he's the man. He is at the center, of course, of the work that we call church. And he is really at the center of our culture in many ways. But Jesus was an outsider under constant scrutiny by those who were the religious leaders of his day. Uh, There in the temple, when the Pharisees and the scribes engaged with Jesus, it was out of a wish on their part to catch him in some matter that would prove that he was out of sync with the law and therefore out of sync with God himself. You remember that John's telling of the story of Jesus is filled with many literal interpretations of Jesus' interaction with people that were outsiders, but also figurative, metaphorical Tellings of Jesus's interaction to bring people to the light or to the living water are in this case to sightedness beyond a sense of blindness. We have spoken in recent weeks about the story of Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night in the cover of darkness, Nicodemus was, law, was, was brought into a deeper understanding of Jesus' light. His being birthed, not of his mother again, but of this heavenly spirit that came to rest within him. The woman at the well. Do you remember the story that we were considering last week? And how there was a woman who was gathering her water midday, this outsider from the community, and Jesus, even though he was in Samaria and should have known better, the disciples thought, engaged this Samaritan woman in conversation. Jesus was always attentive to the place of outsiders because he himself was coming as an outsider. In the telling of this story, it is preceded by a conversation that Jesus had with the scribes and the Pharisees who actually accused Jesus himself of being a Samaritan. Isn't that fascinating? In the 8th chapter, the 48th verse, it says that these Jewish leaders asked, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? How could they have come to this place? They were reacting because Jesus was saying things that they did not wish to hear. Their accusations 
their accusations were incorrect, even though some of them might have felt like they perceived who Jesus really was. The logic of Jesus' day was that if something bad has occurred or is occurring, there must be some sinful reason that that is in place. Even though Jesus had called his disciples and they had answered that call to come and follow him and were set on a good journey, it was not the case that all was right in their lives. This passage that Marilyn read for us just a few moments ago begins with the words that as Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They had it clear in their minds as to what had happened. In fact, they were thinking biblically. You know as well as I that it's a dangerous thing to quote Bible to Jesus. Jesus will set you straight on interpreting the Bible. They were thinking to themselves, what if this instruction that was given to Moses where Moses was receiving the law. And God says very specifically here, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is God's business. Yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children and the third and the fourth generation. It was a part of their mindset that if you were unfaithful to God, you were going to pay the consequences, and not only you, but your family for generations to come. Now, Ezekiel, this prophet, whittled down to a greater understanding of this notion that God curses generations on end. For in the 18th chapter, Ezekiel is reflecting, the person who sins shall die. A child shall not suffer for the iniquity of a parent, nor a parent suffer for the iniquity of a child. The righteousness of the righteous shall be his own, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be his own. You and I would be far more akin to understanding life from Ezekiel's perspective than we would from Moses' perspective. We can see the result of sin, the consequences that come about that can be very devastating. But you and I must keep in mind that here in this situation, that Jesus is going beyond, going beyond what Moses or Ezekiel 
thinks. Jesus is suggesting that there may be no reason for the circumstance that we're looking at in this man's blindness, but the fact that he is just blind, and it's an opportunity for God to work in his life. You and I go through life, and we look into the lives of others with such judgment at times, perceiving their situations and doing even greater harm by thinking that they've made some bad decisions that have brought them to this place. There's more to our relating to people than distancing ourselves from them by our thoughts. This is what the Pharisees were doing. Did they know this man? It was obvious that they did not. They walked by him every day in the temple, and yet they were not aware. They had to consult with the man's parents to confirm that this was the one that had been healed of his blindness. How many of us walk by people every day that we pay no attention to? Jesus sees differently and calls his disciples to see differently. Jesus looks at this man who is blind and uses his saliva mixed with earth to form a paste that becomes this medicinal balm upon his eyes. He tells the man, go and wash yourself in the pool at Siloam. Why did he need to do that? Think about it. Were there special healing properties in the water? I don't know. That was the way of thinking in Jesus' day. You remember the story of the one who sat by the pool at Bethsaida waiting for the water to tremble and yet no one was there to place him in the water to be healed. There were thoughts that water had its healing power. Do you remember when Naaman, this commander of the king's army, the king of Aram, came and sought healing that Elisha told him, go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And he was incensed at that instruction. He said, I could have done that in better rivers at home. (laughs) Nevertheless, his servant said, If it had been something great that you were being asked, would not you have done that? This is a simple thing. Go dip in the Jordan. And on that seventh time, he was cleansed of his leprosy. What was going on with Naaman? Was it not the same thing that Jesus was calling forth in this blind man? Participate in your healing 
How many times did Jesus say, your faith has made you well? You know that? Your faith has made you well. Participate in your healing. This blind man may have started in naivete by not knowing who Jesus was or what he was about, but he rose to the level of at least being sarcastic to the Pharisees. I think we should see him as the champion challenger to the Pharisees. He challenged them sarcastically as if they were becoming followers of Jesus when it was actually he that was becoming the follower of Jesus at that point. Did you pick up on the fact that his healing is not the end of the story? As John continues to tell the story, you know what the Pharisees did with him? They cast him out of the temple. They banished him from coming into that place and asking for alms on that holy ground. Do you know where Jesus went when he was banished? Jesus left the temple and sought him out. This outsider seeking outsiders. And when he found him, this is what ensued. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see. And those who do see may become blind. Such a strange thing. Would God wish blindness on anybody? Yes. For all of us who are so convinced that we have nothing left to learn about Jesus. Even though we think we see, we are blind. I heard the story a while back of Sir Percival Lowell who was this trained observer of the heavens. He established a spot in Flagstaff, Arizona, on which to place a large telescope on a peak there. And he trained that telescope onto the surface of Mars, and stared night after night at this beautiful planet. Early 
in the 20th century, reports began to come from him that there were canals all over the surface of this planet, and he sketched them, and they were published and spread abroad. What has been discovered since is that Sir Percival was actually seeing the reflection of the veins in his own eye transferred onto the lens of the telescope. He was not seeing anything that was there on Mars. He was looking at himself. As we move through these days of Lent, perhaps there are two questions we should be asking ourselves. Where are the blind spots in my life? And where am I turning a blind eye to others?